Welcome back to the Pretty Tough Podcast. My name is Caitlin, I'm your host, and today we're going to be talking about all things Beijing Olympics, Russian Olympic Committee, Camila Valieva, coaching, and the future of women's sports. Okay, just as a warning before I get started, this episode may end up being split into two just because there is so much to talk about. Since I'm trying to keep these episodes to about 20 to 25 minutes, I'm not sure how long this is going to end up being, in which case I'll try to find a good stopping point and split this into a second episode that will come shortly after. Also, happy Olympic season! I know that we are in full swing with all the figure skating events. Nathan Chen just won his gold medal recently, and congratulations, Nathan. His free skate was absolutely incredible. Both skates actually were. So if you're looking for something fun to watch, I highly recommend watching his skates and Jason Brown's as well. The team event has finished. We are well into individual events. I am so excited for Rhythm Dance coming up pretty soon here in the next couple days. It should be a fun one to watch. But fun and excitement of the Olympics and Nathan Chen winning gold aside, it's time to circle back to the team event. I'm actually not even sure I should say circle back considering that there have been no medals awarded yet. And that is the very reason that I am sitting down to record this podcast episode today. If you follow figure skating news at all, specifically Olympic figure skating news, you have probably seen the circulations about the Russian team and why there hasn't been a medal ceremony yet. There is a lot going on and there is a lot to dig into with this that I think will be really interesting to talk about, but it is also kind of a serious topic. So before I dig into the events of the last couple days and how we move forward from this, I do want to mention that I will be bringing up topics of mental, emotional, physical, and sexual abuse, talking about eating disorders, mental illness as well. So if those topics aren't something you're comfortable with hearing, that is totally okay. Feel free to tune out and I will hopefully catch you on another episode. It's also important to note that most of my research that I'll be bringing up are coming from sources like NBC, Rocker Skating, who is covering the Olympics right now, and he is wonderful. I'll be linking all my sources as well, just so you can go and look at everything, but do keep in mind that with some of the sources, some of them are essentially rumors and coming from sports agents and inside sources that aren't necessarily reliable. So please take all the information with a grain of salt. I'll try to mention what is 100% confirmed when I can, because there are some things that have been confirmed by reliable news sources, but a lot of this is still rumor and a lot of it is still unfolding as it is a legal matter. So please keep that in mind, that everything I say may end up being disproven later. There may be some things that change just as we find more news. All right, now that all of my disclaimers are out of the way and hopefully you have a better grasp of exactly what I'll be talking about, where all my information is coming from, let's get into why the team event has had no medals awarded yet. The Olympic figure skating team event ended on February 7th and medals were supposed to be awarded on February 8th. However, that did not happen. In first place, we had the Russian Olympic Committee. In second place, we had the United States. And in third place, we had Japan. For reference later in the episode, it's also important to note that Canada came in fourth. The Russian Olympic Committee team won 74 points, which is almost 10 points ahead of the second place team, the United States. And this is primarily thanks to the women's single skater and the pairs team. The pairs team did absolutely wonderfully, and they are not the focus of today's episode. I just wanted to mention that for context. Now, the women's single skater, Camila Valieva, is the focus of today's episode. Camila is just 15 years old, which makes her one of the youngest Olympians to ever take the ice. She is also one of four women to have ever landed a triple axel at the Olympics, the last competitor being Marina Gossu from the United States. 
She also broke the record of being the first woman to land a quadruple jump, making four rotations in the air at an Olympic competition. Not only did Camila land one quadruple jump, she landed two. She did attempt a third, which she fell on, but she finished the competition almost 30 points ahead of the second place skater. So hearing all this, it sounds like an absolute no-brainer that the Russian Olympic Committee won. Her skate was absolutely mesmerizing to watch, both her short program and her long program. However, pretty late on February 8th, we started to hear rumors of the team event medal ceremony being delayed. At first, the only news we heard was that it was a legal matter between the ISU, which is the International Skating Union, the governing body of all figure skating, speed skating, and similar sports. This legal matter also extended to the IOC, which is the International Olympic Committee. Pretty quickly, people started to put two and two together and realized that the Russian Olympic Committee team skaters had suspiciously not shown up to any of their practice skates for their upcoming individual events. Whether those absences are actually suspicious or not, you can take from that what you will. I don't really have a concrete opinion on it. But it is notable that the Ice Dance Pairs team from Russia that had competed in the team event did make it to their practice session, and the male single skater from the team event, Mark, had also missed his practice session because he was competing in the individual event, and those events were so close together that he was just exhausted and didn't want to go to another practice when his body was already so worn out from the competition. However, just a few short hours after it was announced that the team event was delayed due to legal matters between the ISU and IOC, the news was broken that this legal matter was actually a matter of a positive doping test coming from the Russian Olympic Committee. And overnight, the news broke that there was one Russian Olympic Committee skater in particular who had tested positive. That skater was Kamila Valieva. Now, please keep in mind that the ISU and IOC have not officially said anything as to who the skater is, what the test was, any information like that that we've been hearing. In fact, a majority of this news was broken by a site called InsideTheGames.biz. I don't want to discredit this news source as I think they do likely have a good source for information. They do have a reporter at the Olympics right now who has been seen in videos asking questions at press briefings. And now it seems that more typical news sources such as NBC and Reuters have confirmed the information, but considering that the IOC and ISU haven't actually said anything specifying what the legal matter is or who is involved, I think it's better to remember to take all of this information with a grain of salt. I am recording this episode on the morning of February 10th, just so we're all aware. If anything comes out after the fact, I'll be sure to link it on social media or in the podcast notes for this episode so that you can keep up to date. But the information that I'm working with right now is from this morning, February 10th. And most of our news about Camila and the doping situation came from yesterday morning, February 9th. So we all woke up to the news that Camila Valieva was the skater involved and that it was a matter of a positive test from December. Inside the games.biz was the one to break the news that Camila was at the center of the scandal. And sports analyst for CNN, Christine Brennan, was told by multiple sources that Camila Valieva tested positive for trimetazidine. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. For clarity and my own sanity's sake, I'll be referring to this as TMZ. So what in the world is TMZ and why is this an issue? Once again, my information is coming from CNN Sports' Christine Brennan and her description of what TMZ is. According to the European Union's Medicines Agency, it's a medicine that's used to prevent heart conditions. More specifically, TMZ prevents angina attacks, which are when, due to physical effort, there's reduced blood flow to the heart and it can cause sudden pains to the chest, jaw, and back. And that doesn't really sound like it would be an issue for doping or be a, a substance that would be performance enhancing in any ways. However, this has actually been a banned substance for the Olympics since Sochi in 2014. 
It was listed in the World Anti-Doping Agency's 2021 Prohibited Substances under the category of a hormone and metabolic modulator. According to Dr. Elizabeth Murray, who's a pediatric emergency medicine physician at the University of Rochester's Medical Center, this drug actually makes your heart work more efficiently. So it gives you more stamina, it doesn't change your blood pressure very much or change your heart rate, but it makes it a lot easier to perform at a higher level for a longer amount of time. And I am by no means a scientist. I majored in English in college. So to give this drug a sort of Sparks Notes definition, if you will, is that it would give an already healthy athlete who doesn't need this to actually treat their heart condition, it would give them more stamina. It would give them the ability to perform at a higher level for a longer amount of time. So during a free skate, which is four minutes long, and Camila is throwing jumps like quads, which are practically unheard of for women's skating, it would help her be able to perform those more efficiently and not completely wreck her body while she's out on the ice for that amount of time. And that's what makes this treatment of TMZ essentially not doping, but a sort of performance-enhancing drug, which there have been a lot of arguments online about what TMZ would do and if it actually matters, if maybe it is just a non-performance-enhancing drug. The short answer is that it is. It would give an athlete more stamina. It would allow them to compete these high-level jumps that nobody else is completing with less stress on their body. And in the same article from CNN, Dr. Murray also notes that TMZ would really never be given to minors unless there's an extremely good reason. So under the assumption that Camila is a healthy 15-year-old, there is no reason that she should be given TMZ unless it is to enhance her performance. So if all of this does turn out to be true, even though we know that the IOC and ISU and the World Anti-Doping Agency, the WADA, which is also involved in this case, as none of them have commented yet, if this is confirmed, what does it mean for Camila? What does it mean for the Russian Olympic Committee? Again, referring to the CNN sports article, there was a swimmer in 2014 from China who was given a three-month suspension after they tested positive for TMZ, the same drug. So it can be imagined that a similar suspension might happen. Since Camila is under the age of 16, which is usually the cutoff for harsher punishments for a positive drug test or doping, odds are good that she won't see extremely harsh punishment, which I will talk about later that I, I think it's a good thing that she won't get super harsh punishment. But most of the rumored outcomes right now revolve around Camila likely not being able to compete in the individual women's event, which is coming up in the next week or so. There's also a possibility that not only she, but the entire Russian Olympic Committee team skaters would not receive their gold medal for the event. They would be stripped of that title. And there is also the slight possibility that that would allow the USA to win the gold medal, Japan to win the silver medal, and Canada to move up to win the bronze medal in the figure skating team event. Overall, again, this is still all speculation, but the implications of it are absolutely massive for Russia, for the Russian skaters, for the team event as a whole, for figure skating as a whole, really. Unfortunately, since the IOC, ISU, and WADA are all handling this as a legal case and nothing has really been confirmed or concrete yet, it's possible that we won't get team event medals for months, which is unfortunate for every party involved. And I can't imagine being in that position and not knowing where you placed or not knowing if you get a medal or not. But at the same time, considering that Russia is already not allowed to compete under their own flag and have their anthem played due to past doping issues, I do appreciate that the IOC and ISU is taking the steps to handle this as a serious. All of that in mind, though, I think that the implications of this are really important to discuss because it not only affects Russia, like I said, it doesn't just affect those skaters, but it affects the entire world. And I mean it when I say that I am absolutely devastated for Camila right now and her future because of this scandal. If you have been on figure skating 
social media, seen figure skating fans on social media lately, you have likely seen quite a few people throw blame immediately at Camila. And I just want to stop right now and say to anybody listening that that is unacceptable. Camila is 15 years old. She is a child. As somebody who spent 10 years in the sport as a minor, obviously I wasn't at Camila's skill level by any means, but when you are a child in this sport, it is very typical of you to just say yes to whatever your coach tells you to do. It is very typical to just listen to them and assume that they know best because they are the adult in the situation. And as a child, you want to believe the coach that is telling you to do all these things and leading you hopefully to success. And you may ask, well, where are her parents to step in? And unfortunately, parents are sucked into this too. I can tell you from experience, my mom and I both thought everything that I went through was so normal until we quit. And now, you know, eight years down the road, my mom and I will sit down and have lunch and talk about my experience in skating and realize how brainwashed we were to think that some of the stuff that we went through was totally normal. And my mom agreed to it. My mom is very overprotective. She is a total mama bear and I love her for that. But even she was blinded by so many things that coaches said or was the culture. And that is the main issue here. When you're a child and your brain isn't fully developed, you're more inclined to just listen to the adults around you and think that they know what is best for you, even when it's not. And then on top of that, coaches have a power imbalance. They have the medals. They have the track record to prove that they can provide winners and make Olympic champions. So when you're in that environment, who are you to say no? Who are you to disagree? Camila isn't at fault here. And I don't want to definitively place blame on any one person or any one group of people, as again, this is all unconfirmed. But if I were to look to anyone, I would look to the adults around her who have essentially failed Camila by making TMZ a normal thing to take and assuming that that was just the right thing to do so that she could win. And I think that the As the Blade Turns episode of The Skating Lesson that came out yesterday uh, really said it best in that this news, this decision has effectively ruined a 15-year-old's life. To be honest, I spent most of yesterday morning listening to this news as it was coming out, trying to keep track of all the different sources and all the different rumors and what might happen. And I ended up just almost in tears thinking about Camila and how she must feel being on the receiving end of all of this hatred and all of these rumors and being an actual child. And at the end of the day, like I said, this is not Camila's fault in any way. So I think it's important to spend the rest of this episode talking about her coaching team and why there needs to be a change with skating, especially for young women as a whole. Camila has been coached to this Olympic success by a woman named Ateri. I don't know how to pronounce her last name, so I am not going to even attempt to say it here because I don't want to bungle it, but she has been notable for producing Olympic champions for producing amazing skaters for the last several years. If you've watched both the Sochi and Pyeongchang Olympics, you will likely remember the names of Yulia Lipnitskaya, Evgenia Medvedeva, Elena Zagatova. And what all of these young women have in common is their coach is Ateri. Ateri runs a skating club called Sambo 70 in Moscow. And like I said, Sambo 70, Ateri, they're notable for producing Olympic champions who are extremely young, from ages 15 to 18 usually. And while Ateri herself does have a daughter named Diana, who is an Olympic ice dancer competing this year, and Ateri and her team do coach a lot of disciplines and a lot of different skaters, the most notable skaters to come from her club and her team are the young women. And I won't deny that these skaters that I've mentioned are absolutely incredible. If you go back and watch their skates from past Olympics, they are completely show-stopping. I remember watching Yulia Lipnitskaya perform in the team event and just being completely mesmerized watching her. 
This year, I think Sambo 70 has especially made a name for itself because of its quad squad, which are three young women, including Camila, who are competing at the Olympics this year and all have quadruple jumps. Camila is one of the three quad squad skaters presented at the Olympics, and the other two are Anna Sherbakova and Alexandra Trusova, who goes by Sasha. Not only do these three skaters all have incredible jumps and incredible artistry and incredible skating performances in common, but they are also all between the ages of 15 and 17. Keep in mind that most of their competitors are ranging between 18 and 25. Occasionally, you will see women's figure skaters in the solo events range up into their later 20s, but usually the peak is between 18 and 25. Now, I know that that seems really young, and I don't disagree. I think that skaters' careers peak very, very young because of how hard it is on your body, but it is nature of the sport. And meanwhile, Tia Terry's peak is 13 to 15. Her star skaters will start appearing on the world circuits and blowing everybody away as young as their early teens, but they will usually be retired by 17 or 18. Like I said, skating is much easier on younger bodies. It gets harder as you grow older and hit puberty and you start to have to deal with your body type evolving and your weight changing and managing all of that with tough jumps and tricks. So yes, 15 to 18 is likely the ideal for your jumps to be at their peak. But for a skater's career to be completely done as young as 17 or 18 is unheard of. But it's pretty commonplace with Tima Terry. For example, we had Yulia Lipnitskaya, who blew everybody away at the Sochi Olympics at just 15 years old. But just two years later, at 17, she retired from competitive skating completely, opening up about an eating disorder and mental health issues that she dealt with while being coached by Atari. Evgenia Medvedeva also retired just in December of 2021, so not that long ago, but she blamed a chronic back injury that she sustained from reaching those jumps so young. And even if one of Atari's skaters continues on past that seeming age limit of 18 years old, they start to crash and burn different competitions. They can no longer land the jumps that they were once landing. They no longer have the skating skills that they did at just 15. So you can start to see this pattern forming of Atari's skaters being incredible, extremely, extremely young, but then just one or two seasons later, they either retire, they disappear from world competing completely, or they do try to continue competing, but they just don't have the skills that they used to and can't place. Which is why every four years at each Olympics, Atari will be there as usual, but you likely won't see the same group of skaters come with her. It will be a different crop of young girls each time. And yes, again, skaters' careers are short and you peak young, but that's no excuse for the fact that many of these girls have now retired and opened up about chronic injuries, eating disorders, mental illnesses that they struggled with because of the coaching mechanisms used. For example, it's been noted that Atari stands in essentially as a nutritionist for these skaters, despite the fact that she is not a healthcare professional. She hasn't gone through the schooling or any sort of examination to ensure that she actually knows what she's talking about when it comes to nutrition and fueling your body for such a hard sport. I'll link a Business Insider article on Atari in the podcast notes so you can go read it for yourself, but it is important to note that this is kind of method of retiring at 17 or 18 is even notable at this Olympics with this quad squad. Two of the three women on Terry's team in Beijing right now are dealing with unspecified injuries. We don't know what they are, but we do know that they are injured right now and pushing through it to compete. Terry has been quoted to mention that girls should learn quadruple jumps when they are young, when they are still light and agile, which means that 
she specifically wants them to have not hit puberty yet just so they can land these jumps. So once they do hit puberty and their weight ratio changes and they have to deal with all those body changes that I mentioned before, they are pushing their bodies to a point of injury, trying to do the skills that they can't do now that their body has become that of a young woman's. And to try and prevent those body changes, to prevent a young woman's actual development, like I said, a Terry plays nutritionist, and it has been noted that she essentially starves the young girls in her club to make sure that their bodies stay that small as long as possible. And without food to properly nourish your body, it's harder to perform those jumps to begin with and to push yourself to that kind of athleticism, which means more injuries, which means more early retirements. So yes, Eteri leads these women to Olympic golds, but at what cost? A more recent example of this kind of pattern that we see emerging with Eteri skaters is Daria Usacheva. So she did not make the Olympics this year, unfortunately, because in November, she suffered a hip injury so severe while warming up that she returned home from a wheelchair and had to withdraw from any future competition. And the Business Insider article goes a bit more into depth with this, but this type of hip injury that Usacheva came home with is a stress injury. It results from stress to a body part after repeating an element too many times. So doing the same thing over and over, likely quad jumps or some other trick that is already extremely hard for a young person's body. This is combined with the fact that Usacheva is just 15 and these kinds of injuries are very common for young teens who are going through puberty and their bodies are growing and changing. Anna Sherbakova, for example, she's competing at this year's Olympics while apparently having an unspecified injury, but earlier she was dealing with pneumonia. She was very, very sick and she still competed. After she got off the ice, you could see her using smelling salts, which is usually for people who faint, and she was very clearly having a hard time breathing and supporting herself through her program. Usually, as a skater gets older, they'll need to adjust how they train, how they jump. Like I've said before, they have to learn how to work with their new weight distribution and all the changes that have happened. But if you're still pushing and pushing for these quadruple jumps, that training doesn't change that much, which results in injuries like that. This is just a handful of the incidents that we've seen under Ateri's lead with the Sambo 70 Skating Club. But I think it goes to show pretty well that Camila testing positive for TMZ isn't something of her own doing. It isn't a drug that she took of her own volition because she is a child and the skating club that she skates under is known to have these practices where you push yourself to the limit and you go as hard as you can, as fast as you can, just to win that gold. And if the adults around Usacheva are pushing so hard for her to land those jumps that she just returns home to Moscow in a wheelchair, who's to say that there's nobody stopping coaches from giving Camila something like TMZ to make sure that she can last through those quadruple jumps in a free skate? And I know this sounds like I'm just ragging on the Russian skating team, but I promise I'm not. I really genuinely admire so many of these skaters, and I think that they are incredible, and the talent that they have is unmatched. And it is important to note that Russia definitely isn't the only country that has coaches like this. But I feel compelled to point out that, again, Russia as a country has not been allowed to compete in the Olympics since Sochi in 2014. Yes, Russian athletes still compete at these Olympics, but under a different name. So this year, it's the Russian Olympic Committee. So yes, Russian athletes can still represent at the Olympics, but they can't actually represent their country. They cannot have the Russian national anthem played at meddling or the opening ceremonies or anything like that where it would typically be played. Russian athletes can also not compete with their flag flying at any event. So if you've been watching the figure skating events or really any other where you'll see a Russian Olympic Committee athlete competing, 
they will have a different flag. You may have noticed that there is a Russian sort of flag where it has their colors, but it's got the Olympic rings in it instead because they can't actually fly their own flag. Now, the country of Russia was initially banned because of doping, so I think that's really important to point out as well, that this has been a repetitive issue, not just with figure skaters, but from the country as a whole and their athletes. For context, this ban stemmed from the World Anti-Doping Agency, which will likely be involved in Kamila Velieva's case at this Olympics, but it was found that Russian anti-doping officials were being bribed by Russian athletes or told about test samples so that they could make them negative, even if Russian athletes were doping. So when Russia's ban from the Olympics already stems from doping, it doesn't seem like too much of a surprise that this would pop up. And it is important to mention that Atari's athletes have never actually had a positive test before this. They've always tested negative and they are tested a lot, these skaters, because of Russia's past with the doping ban and because all her athletes win at all these events. So they are tested more as a result too. But while I wish that this news were fake and it would all just be disproven really quickly, um, because Camila is so young and because none of Atari's skaters have ever tested positive for doping in the past, since articles and news sources like CNN, NBC, and Reuters, all of whom are fairly reliable, are starting to confirm this, it does start to feel like this is something that is actually happening. And whether it's just another loophole that Russian skaters were able to jump through and not test positive for whatever reason before? I don't know. But it is interesting to see this unfold, and my heart breaks for Camila. I This is obviously not her fault. It's a fault of every adult around her. Again, I don't want to place blame because this is all alleged. But if it is true and Camila faces consequences for this versus her coaches and the adults around her, that would be really disheartening to see in the sport. This episode is also starting to get pretty long, so I think I'm going to split this into two or three parts because I do want to examine more of the coaching atmosphere with skating and how it's not just Russia. Obviously, Russia is at the forefront of this right now with this specific issue, but abusive coaches are everywhere. It's part of the culture of figure skating, and part of my fear is that the ISU is complicit in this as well, so I want to address that. But I do want to leave this episode off with just my sympathy for Camila and hoping that this doesn't truly affect her because I fear that being so young in this sport and having this scandal, not only could it ruin her skating career, but it could ruin her entire life. This could follow her around for the rest of her life, even out of skating. She might forever be known as the girl who got caught at the Beijing 2022 Olympics for doping when she's just 15 and this isn't even her fault. This is something that falls to her coaches and the adults around her failing her. It comes down to the environment of coaches where they do whatever it takes to win and push young women past their limit far too young just to get a medal. So to end this episode off, I guess I mentioned what my ideal hope is, what the best case scenario for this would be. Because Camila is just 15, odds are pretty good that she won't face serious consequences for this, as 16 or 18 is usually the cutoff for suspensions, major consequences as an athlete. But I don't necessarily want the Russian Olympic Committee teams and coaches to get off scot-free for it, because obviously Camila's a minor. I don't think that she should be affected by something out of her control as a child. But I hope that it causes more investigation into Atari, into Sambo 70, into the club that has cultivated this environment that led her to testing positive for TMZ in the first place. Athletes are really, honestly, in my opinion, never to blame 
for something like this because there is this atmosphere of you just listen to whatever the coach says. Even if you're a grown adult, you know, you've still been raised likely in this atmosphere of you just say yes to your coach, you don't listen to anybody else. And that can affect you even once your brain has developed fully and you are an adult who can make your own choices. It really does fall on coaches and athletes, parents and doctors, their environment to cultivate that healthy atmosphere that focuses on healthy bodies, healthy minds, instead of just landing that quad and getting that gold medal. So as Beijing 2022 continues on and as we see more figure skating events unfold and more medalists be coronated, I hope that you remember that all of this is still just a rumor. The IOC and ISU have stated multiple times that they cannot comment on this situation as it is a legal matter, so we may not have an official ending or an official story for months. In the meantime, what we can do is talk about the change that needs to be made in figure skating, talk about what led us here, how do we move forward, and that's what I'll be addressing in my next episode because this isn't an isolated incident, isn't an isolated incident with a Terry, it's not an isolated incident with Russian athletes as a whole, it's an isolated incident amongst figure skating as a sport. It happens everywhere. So I hope that this episode was informative, that you learned something, and that you see a little bit more of what goes on with young athletes in figure skating, specifically women. I do plan to post my follow-up episode in the next day or so after this one is published, as I would like to make sure that there's not a huge gap between part one and two just for continuity and listening and so you don't forget anything. But regardless, I hope that this episode on its own was informational, that you got something from it, that it was helpful to clarify sort of what's been blowing up Twitter over the last few days. I hope that you tune in for the next episode as well, but until then, this is Caitlin, and I am signing off from Pretty Tough. If you're an athlete competing in a women-led sport, past or current, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at prettytoughsports at gmail.com, and I will get back to you soon. In addition, you can listen to Pretty Tough Sports episodes on Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And please connect with me on social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, all at Pretty Tough Sports.